The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Man, here's, here's the good news this morning. And I, I want to read this passage as we get into the passage for this morning because I, I feel like so often we're operating on a faulty definition of what love is. And, uh, and the truth is, God's love for us is perfect in its expression to us, and it's always showing us through the experience of his love towards us what our love should look like towards others. Um, we, we should constantly be asking the question, um, Lord, when, when, when it's difficult for me to love this person, um, how, how do you treat me when I'm difficult to be loved by you? Um, I don't know that I'm, diff I mean, I'm sure I'm difficult to be loved, but, um, but God just, God is this love that, that, that doesn't have conditions. It doesn't have barriers and limitations. It's not fickle. It's not frail. It doesn't give up. It doesn't run out. Um, here with fresh ears, a passage that so often gets read at weddings um, but really, in context, is being discussed in the area of spiritual gifts. So God has made us each unique, wired us uniquely um, to express his love with purpose, to express his love to the world. And, uh, and so when, when the scriptures here in 1 Corinthians are talking about the spiritual gifts, it, it comes and defines what love is and, and what, what love is and what love isn't in order for us to understand that this is, this is the aim of the way that God has wired you. This is the aim of the gift that I've given you, that you might love the way that I've loved you. Does that make sense? And so listen, listen to what is stated here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not going to be in the screen. Hopefully you've grabbed your Bibles and turned there. Kind of a little sword drill here this morning. Here we go. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm a bunch of noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if, and if I deliver my body, up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then the scriptures, the truth defining what love, what godly love, what God is in love. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And as we sang this morning, love never fails or ends. This is Here's, here's the good news for us in this passage this morning uh, as we get into our text in 1 John is that God's love endures. God's love is present. If we're not experiencing that love firsthand, he hasn't left us. We're the ones that are prone to wander. His presence remains. For those that are believers, that means like very practically, that God has put his kingdom in us, in us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. God himself, God the Spirit, is present with us, and he's manifesting the fruit of his presence in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And God, God wants those things not to simply just be the fruit of the Spirit, but that they become, they, they become a part of who we are as he continues to infuse us with his presence and power. 
and clothe, clothe us with life and power. And so, man, you know, the good news this morning and this, you know, if this isn't true, we'll, we'll never love. God loves you. This, this is demonstrated clear. Romans 5, 8 says, for, for while we were yet sinners, yes, later on in the passage kind of puts us in a posture of enemies towards God. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his very own love for us in this. Christ died. Christ died in our place. And so this was, this was the ultimate demonstration of what love is. So we are continuing our journey through the letter of 1 John. Uh, we are now in the chapter 4, uh, picking up in verse 7. Um, and I want to tell you this morning that based on the text, based on what we've heard already, love has a name, and his name is Jesus. Love has a name. It's pers- personified in the ministry of Christ and, then in, and ultimately in the sacrifice of Christ and the powerful resurrection of Christ and what God has accomplished in our lives through that. Um, as, as we begin, no, I'll read that later. I, I really, uh, I want to dive into this text. I want us to listen. It's interesting that, that whenever you see repetition in a concise passage, um, pay attention. There's, there's thematical value there if we see the same word over and over again. And here we see loves, loved, or love in verses uh, 7 to 12, 13 times. 13 times. Twice, uh, not included in that, twice John refers to his audience, his readers, his little children or his spiritual children as beloved. Beloved. So listen to the text, and it reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. That's the miracle. And sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. We'll talk about that a little later. That's, that's awesome. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Man, this is God's word. So this week, um, you know, Trevor and I wrestle for a big idea. You know, what is, the, what is the, the big idea of the passage? And I don't think that I can say it or come up with any sort of uh, piffy statement that would be more, more profound and powerful than God's word itself. And I believe the big idea is found in verse 8. And it says this, anyone who does, not, who, who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So in preparing for the message, you know, you kind of look for context. It's so important, guys. I used to, um, I, I did this two-year program where this seminary professor uh, um, stated, and he stated this over and over and over again. He said, um, context is king. Context is king. Drilling that into our head that, you know, we can take anything out of context and make it say what we want it to say. But we've got to read God's word in context so that we don't, over, don't ever misinterpret what Scripture is telling us. And, and as I went back over the, and looked at First John, um, we, we see that, God, that, that John is kind of going through uh, the proof that one really loves God. And there's six tests. And this whole, this whole journey began in chapter 3. And Pastor Trevor's done a wonderful job of kind of walking through those elements. And so I just want to just refresh us in what we've already kind of been through here very quickly. And look at the outline here. So the first test we saw was in the first three verses of chapter 3. And the first test was, and this is the proof that one really loves God, is they're experiencing God's incredible love. They're experiencing God's incredible love. 
The next test that we saw was in uh, verses 4 through 9 in chapter 3, uh, turning away from sin and its, in, its enslavement. And we talked about that. Then moving into to, to chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, being marked by love. That it's the mark of the, of the believer. Like, uh, they will know that you are my followers if you love, if you have love one for another. And then the fourth test we saw uh, in verses 18 to 24 at the end of the chapter there was having a clean heart, a heart that's been purified by the Lord um, and its expression. And, uh, and then the test five that we heard about last week was, and these again are the proofs that one really loves God, is testing the spirits of false teachers. And then we move into this week. And this week we're, we're looking at the sixth test, and the sixth and final test, um, and, and he's, he's talking here about loving one another, that this is the test, that we love one another. So I have some questions for you as we get started this morning. Do you really, do you really love God? Do you love God? Does that seem foreign to you? Does that seem something that, that at times seems lofty or intangible? These tests help us to understand what loving God really look like. This is the sixth test, the one sure way to measure whether or not we love God. Here's another question. Do you love one another? Now, we're not talking about in this passage, we can all say, man, yeah, there's been seasons and moments, moments for sure where I haven't loved. But, but what's being talked about here is... Uh, a practice of not loving, um, a lifestyle. I mean, is, is, is your life marked by a love for others? When people speak of you, it's like, man, he or she really loves people, loves people. Um, and because there are, there are moments, there are occasions, tired, fatigue. I love Jimbo always says, you know, uses the acronym of HALT. You know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are moments where we can make some bad choices and, and speak things that we shouldn't speak. Um, but we're not, that's not talking about those moments. Because the difference is for the believer is when, when those moments happen, we have this sweet gift that God gives us by his spirit, and it's called conviction. In that moment, the Spirit of God, you know, I, I, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, you know, if it's truth, and, it's, and truth is love, because we know that, that Jesus and the Word have this rich intimacy, that, that, that correction and rebuke is a, is a loving thing. Parents, I want you to know that is a very loving thing that you do when you correct your child, when you rebuke uh, direction, when done with a heart that, that wants their ultimate best. And so when, when we don't love as we ought, as the, the verse 11 says, when we don't love as we ought, we have the benefit, we have a loving Heavenly Father that corrects us that rebukes us, that brings, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And our ideal response is confession, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, confession and repentance. And so we go back to those individuals and we say, you know, I'm so sorry I wasn't loving. Um, please forgive me. And, and we move in a different direction. We turn our back on that experience and we, and we walk into God's presence who is the motivating factor in loving others. So do you love Another, another question, and uh, I really appreciate um, the Morrisons, you know, Christian and, and Marlena coming up and sharing their experience of how they've used eating with others uh, to, to just cultivate friendship and intimacy and relationships that give them the privilege to share what's precious in their life and important. Um, but do you really love your neighbor? Do you love those that are maybe on the the outskirts of your life, or intimate but yet not known. Because no matter who they are, we're called to love as God has loved us. If we love our fellow man, that proves that God, that we love God, the passage says. Loving one another proves three things. 
And here's our outline for the morning. Loving others, loving one another proves three things. Loving one another proves that we are born of God and that we know God, verse 8 tells us. Secondly, loving one another proves that we, that we see God's love, that we've seen that our, uh, that our minds and hearts have been awakened to this wonderful good news that Jesus willingly died in our place to satisfy our sin debt and that no greater love than this than a man that would lay down his life for one called friend. And then finally, loving one another proves that God's spirit is within us. Why? Because we can't do this thing. We can't love to the extent that God has loved us. We can't reflect this kind of love without the powerful, persuasive power of God's spirit. Um, had a vision, uh, vision, I, I use that loosely, had a, had a kind of an idea, okay, um, while we were worshiping this morning, because, you know, you get your mind wrapped up in the, in the passage, and, and you start really taking in, and as the songs are sung, it just, you know, even coming to, coming to service this morning, and hearing that song, that love has a name, you know, like, just, it's just rich, and, and I was thinking this morning, you know how so often you'll see, especially uh, f- uh, football athletes, you know, they'll do this, right? What are they talking, what, 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 what's the expression there? Superman, right? Like, so they're just doing this Superman thing, and, and the, 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 the idea that came to me was, look, they're, they're making a statement that something that just happened was, was, was supernatural. It wasn't natural. It was extraordinary. It wasn't ordinary, right? That's, and, and unfortunately, in most cases, like, look at me, look what I did. But, but, you know, I just, I like to tie things. I think Jesus did this, like, perfectly. But I like to tie things to elements in our, in our, in our goings so that it reminds us of truth um, and, and principles. And what, what came to me in that moment was, man, there are moments where we can't do it, right? There are moments that we feel like Clark Kent, right? And we feel our humanity. And what we need to do is we need to unleash, unleash the spirit, right? We need to just say, this is your job. You know, like, come on, man. The power to do all that's necessary here is present in us in order to, to see that realized. But in that moment, what we're not saying is look at me, but look at he. Look at him. Look I, I, you're, it's, it's a confident expression that I can't do this, but he can. Does that make sense? And it's almost the opposite in its, in its expression. It's almost the opposite of saying, look at me. But it's, it's really acknowledging in that moment that I need him in order to do this, this work of love. So let's break down the passage. We'll start in verses 7 and 8. And it says, beloved. Now, if you know or have spent any time with me, you know we're going to camp out a little bit on, on some words. So um, right here, verse, you know, chapter, chapter uh, 4, verse 7, John uses a word of endearment, of, of affection. And this isn't new to his letters, whether it be the gospel or, in this case, the 1st the John. Um, we, we see that this is the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I believe that was a statement that he was convinced that he was loved by Jesus. That wasn't an arrogant statement from my perspective, but a statement that he believed. And I think that drove him in, in the way the Holy Spirit used him to testify to the importance of loving one another because we see that throughout his teaching. And so here, um, what, what I see is that John is, again, referring to these spiritual children or the, the ones that he loves. And he uses these endearing terminologies throughout the letter and and so the challenge here for me, and this is what the Lord kind of, you know, as you meditate on God's word, he just kind of unpacks it for you or to you, is that, you know, how, how are you doing? I think we should love in word and deed, right? We're called to love in word and deed. And John is using his words even to love his audience, to love those that he shares love and affection for. And so my challenge or my question is, how are you using your words to love people? Because from God's perspective, he used his words to create and not destroy. He, he challenges us in Ephesians 4 to use our words to, words to build up and not to tear down. That our words are meant to edify and to encourage. And, and the word encourage literally means to put courage, to enrich courage into someone. And words are powerful and so I, I, I just feel so 
challenged by the way that we even open up this morning in this passage is that, you know, what do your texts look like? What are your conversations with the, the girl at the register or the waitress or waiter uh, or, the, or the person in the toll booth? Or, you know, what, what do your emails communicate ultimately? Is there, is the, are, they, are they enriched with love? Are there, are there expression? You know, do we qualify their, their utterance by love? Because this, this is the, the guiding principle. And that doesn't mean that we don't, we don't say things that are difficult and hard, but that the, the motive behind it is love. And, uh, and I believe that the readers, the recipients of this letter were convinced, one, that God loved them, but that John loved them too. So when you write to others, when you text others, email, whatever, you know, does, does, does your love come through for the those that you're reaching out to. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. There's the, there's the mandate. There's the challenge. There's the statement. And from Jesus' lips, there's the command, right? And then he says this, for love is from God. Now we understand its origin. It's, but, but later on, we see in verse 8 that that it's, it, this isn't an attribute of God. This isn't a characteristic of God. God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. That love, and, and, and we're never to do this. We're never to say love is God. Because that really skews the truth of it. But God is love. And here we understand after being told, let us love one another for love is, finds its genesis, finds its origin finds its, its, its purpose and its beginnings from God, in God. For love is from God. And whoever loves, here's two things that, we, that are to be discerned by those who love as agents and instruments of God through the Holy Spirit, has been born of God and knows God. So one that, that is marked, that their life is marked by, by love, he is saying there's, this is another test, almost an ultimate test, that, that, that by, not, not by us loving one another, but the fact that we love one another is evidence that love abides in us. And that's a big difference. It's not that we need to try harder to love people. If anything, we need to be more cognitive or more aware of God's love for us because we know that loved people love people and hurt people hurt people. Like we know that, that the condition of our heart is, is critical in the expression of our heart. And so, you know, when, when we're struggling, my point to this is when we're struggling to love people, we don't need to try harder. We just need to be reminded of God's love towards us. And as we are reminded of that love towards us, we're reminded of its definition, its characteristics, its expression, its, its healing work, the wonder of it. Guys, this is the testimony of my life, truly, that, that what, what changed my life is, 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 is believing and receiving and acknowledging God's love for me. I had a moment when I was... Uh, we were um, on a winter retreat up in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania, and, and the worship was going on, and I was in the back of the room because uh, the Lord had assigned me to the message that night, and, and I'm in the back of the room behind all the seats, all the students, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm captured by just what the Lord is doing in that moment through worship. And guys, I, I can tell you it wasn't audible. It was more profound than audible, and I will never forget it. In my heart of hearts, I heard, I love you. Man, I was a wreck. I was so just, I was so liberated and wrecked at the same moment. I was so um, refreshed and overwhelmed at the same moment. But in that moment, I've, I, I know and believe that that still small voice echoed in my heart the truth, the reality. I love and man, it just, it just, it just reached to all the, the brokenness, the heat. I mean, there was healing that was done in that moment. And uh, I, I don't even have a clue what I spoke about that night. But man, I can tell you that that was a, that was a life-altering moment for me. 
But praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord that he's, that he's, he refreshes us in this truth that, and guys, hear this this morning. The cross screams this at humanity and to you specifically and uniquely. God loves you. God loves you. Nothing drives a father to send his only son to a cross to, to, uh, to quench the, the debt and the sin of someone else that hates him, by the way, if love is not the driving force. And this force, this spirit, has been birthed, has been placed inside of us simply from, uh, from the posture of a heart that re- receives and accepts and believes that Christ died in, in their place and believes that he rose from the dead. And in that moment of belief, God puts his spirit, his kingdom, inside of us. And what comes with that? is an endless resource of his love, joy, peace. And it's for you, but meant to be also through you. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's meant to not, it doesn't just, it doesn't just love us, but we, it commissions us and calls us and empowers us to be loving agents. And so, as verse 8 says, those that have been, been given the gift of God, through the, the Holy Spirit and the love that comes. And here's the good news, guys. As, as, God, as, as God puts his love in us by his spirit, the scripture says, but then what he does through the spirit is he convinces us through this, this slow process of growing up in our salvation. The Bible refers to sanctification, like becoming more like him. He continually shows us his love, defines it for us, shows us how he loves us so that we can do the same for others. He heals us through that love, and we learn. We're, we're the student, the disciple, the learner. We're the learner in the classroom of God's love. And then we get to go out and to love others in the same vein, the same expression, the same way. Does that make sense? And so that's why it can say that, you know, if, if you love others, this is evidence that you've been born of God. And that also it says that you know him, right? Because, because, that's, because it goes on to say because God is love. Because God is love. So again, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then the antonym of that, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is this is not the defining characteristic of God. That's who God is. It's who he is. And so, again, I want to say this, that this is, a, this, is a, this is a mark of a life, not a moment. We will have moments where we struggle to love, where we, we fail to love. Um, but I want to ask you this question. How does, how does God treat you in that moment? Does he continue to pursue your heart? Does he continue to love you? Does his, does his love get fickle in that moment? No. And so neither should ours. Um, let me read this passage real quick. I think this is the appropriate time. You'll remember this from the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the last part of chapter 5 of Matthew, of Matthew chapter 5. And it says this, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this was a common just mantra. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be, listen to what it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And this is spoken in an agricultural context. So basically both of those are essentials. And he sends them to both the good and the bad, the evil and, uh, and the righteous. And, and it goes on to say, verse 46, For if you love those, listen to what this says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? If you greet only your brothers, as if a greeting, a smile, a hello, is an expression of love. Do you, do you not even, excuse me, do not even the, the Gentiles do the same? 
And so the challenge for me in that passage in reference to what we're talking about this morning is this, is while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love, sacrificial love. He loved us. And we are called there, we're called to love our enemies, to bless those, get this, bless those who curse you, bless and do not curse. Like we're called to be this loving agent that doesn't have any distinction or prejudice, that just loves and leaves the justice to God. And we have to ask ourselves in moments where abuse and pain and, and you know, what does love look like here? And how does God, God's word speak into that? But in a general sense, because that's the exception rather than the rule, in a general sense, we are called, commissioned, and equipped to love. And guys, I believe this is the abundant life. The abundant life is to be loved by God and to love others. I mean, what's the most refreshing thing in life is, is, to, is to experience a loving relationship. You ever seen someone that just fell in love? I mean, their head's in the clouds, right? I mean, they're just, they're popping along. You know, like, I mean, it's, but the opposite is also true, right? Some of the most devastating moments in life is when, when a, a relationship isn't marked by love. Our default as humanity is to hate, but the spirit inside of us compels us. The, the love of God like motivates us to be these agents. We ought to, it says in the latter part of this text, love one another. So our first principle we see is loving one another proves that we are born of God and that we know God. God is love. His very nature is love. Therefore, a person loves God. He becomes a loving person. He takes on the very nature of God. If a person really loves God, then he does what God does. He loves everyone. And when we love one another, it produces, people see two things in us. Number one, people see that we are born of God. So the question is, how do, we, how do they see God's nature in us? How do, how do others, how does the world see God's nature in us based on this text? By our love. That's how, that's how the, the world that, 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 uh, that claims that he is not tangible, he's not present. We get to be the hands and feet of Christ. We get to be the tangible expression of the Lord. We get to be the embodiment of his spirit that tabernacles, uh, the, that's tabernacled in the world and gets to express that love to others. And I do use that word intentionally. We get to do this. So the abundant life is being loved by God and loving others. That's the abundant life. And the things that get in the way of that are the hindrances, the sin that so easily entangles. And, uh, and this is the mark of the believer. The second thing we see in this passage is that people see that we know God. People see that we know God. So the two things they, they, they understand is they, they see God and, and his nature, and then they see that we that we know God, that we know him. And that's what the passage tells us. The person who does not love others reveals something as well, that he does not know God. That is a staggering statement. I came upon uh, two pieces this week that I want to share with you, and they read like this. The statement, God is love, ought not be turned around to say God is that love is God, or watered down to God is loving. I mentioned this earlier. As if this were just one of God's attributes. Rather, love is God's very essence. It is not one of God's many activities. Instead, all of his activities are infused with love. When he disciplines or teaches, for example, he does so with love. And conversely, because he loves, he disciplines and he teaches. Because he is love, he can do nothing without love. And this is the work that God's spirit is doing in us. Is as he conforms us to his image, he is he's changing our qualifiers and motivators to be driven by love. That love would define our, our movements, our, our speech, our, our, our actions, our choices. If you are having a difficult time loving someone, anybody been in that category? 
Find, I mean, come on, we're different, right? Sometimes uh, we get in, in postures of, of defiance and, and we're at odds with one another. Um, the, I think we're all, you know, we can relate to this. If anyone has, is having a difficult time loving someone who is, is not exactly lovable, revisit the source of love. So what the, the, the challenge is here is not if, but when those moments come where your spouse is driving you up the wall or your child is driving, or your coworker or your neighbor or, I mean, does that happen for anybody but me? No? Okay, just making sure. Um, you know, that, that what the challenge is to do is not to respond, not to give evil for evil, not to return, you know, eye for an eye, but, but to get on our knees and be reminded of God's posture towards us to be reminded of what God has done for us in Christ. Because what it does then is it, it reorients our lives and it, re, it changes even our feelings in that moment. Because here's the danger. If our lives are led by our feelings, our lives are going to be on, we're going to be on a roller coaster, right? Because circumstances change. But if our, if our if feelings are the caboose on the train of faith, then like Jesus He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's, there's a, a larger sense of consistency in our life as it comes to loving others. And so return to the source of love when those that are, are difficult to love, um, and, and maybe that's even, and I'll just say this too, when you find folks that are difficult for you to love, ask the Lord, is there something in me that, uh, that needs to change? Because oftentimes there's, there's something in us that, uh, that the Lord wants to transform in those moments. So prayer is always the good choice. Remembering Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross helps us show kindness and generosity to others. He provides an abundant supply of love uh, after your reserves have been completely de depleted. And this is true, but we've got to sit at his feet. We've got to be reminded of his love towards us. As I mentioned earlier, loved people love people. Follow me through some verses here that just, I believe the best commentary on scripture is, is scripture. And I believe the scriptures really speak and, and support themselves. So listen to what the Lord Jesus says here in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the Gospel of John, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 35, it says this. Don't miss this. He says, by this, again, what is the this? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And here's the this. If you have love for one another. You know, I believe the world thinks that love is weak. And the scriptures declare, because God is love, that God, that love is one of the, the, pow is the most powerful force on the planet. And that love changes hearts and lives, transforms marriages and circumstances. That if we endeavor to love rather than to hate, that, that refreshment and transformation will come. Listen to it later on, the same, same gospel, chapter 15, John 15, 12, it says this. Jesus said, this is my suggestion right? Is that what it says? He says, this is my commandment, right? He doesn't say commandments. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another. And then he says this, as I have loved you. So now we have a standard and that standard requires that we're doing this, right? Because it, it can't be me. I've, I've got to unleash God's spirit into this circumstance because I can't love to the standard uh, that Scripture demands or that Jesus commands. And so I've, I've got to lean in on the spirit. I've got to trust God to do this finishing work, this miraculous work through my life. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3.12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, Paul says to the church. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22. And I wanted you to see that, you know, this spans Paul and John and Matthew and Peter. This is the work of the Spirit, and this is the declaration of God's heart. First Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Right? So how did we come to this 
sincere brotherly love by the, pure, by the work of the cross. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from the heart that you've been given. As the passage continues in 1 John verses 9 through 11, we now get to see the definition of love from God's perspective, from truth. And it says this in verses 9 through 11. In this, again, what is the this? The love of God has, was made manifest, shown or revealed, right? In this, the love of God, the, 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 the standard of love, the, the definition of love was made manifest among us. And here is the this, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is what love looks like. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life. Like this is what love is. God defines love. God, in Romans 5, 8, it says this is how he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were, listen, nobody wanted God. The scripture says not one. We were all in a posture of rejection and rebellion. And in that moment, here's the good news, guys. God loved us first. God God initiated before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. This was God's mission in order to define love and grace for us so that we would know what love looks like. We would experience it firsthand. He says, this is the love of God. This is the love of God, that he would send his one and only son to die in your place so that you might be brought from death to life, that you might be, that you might be alive again, to the hope and the glory of God that you would live not, that you would live, period, but eternally. And this is what God has done for us in Christ. And that's what love is. What are the characteristics of this love? It's, it's self-sacrificing. It's not self-oriented. It's selfless in its nature. It's giving. It's for God so loved the world that he gave because that's what love does. Verse 10 continues. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We just talked about that. It's not that we loved him because we didn't, but that he initiated and he initially loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, I have to unpack this, this, this Greek word because it's, it's loaded with meaning that brings such rich understanding and helps us to, to understand God's love. The word propitiation means, in Greek, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So look, God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's wrath endures, but what he chose to do, as Isaiah 53 clearly defines for us, is he's chosen to put, pour out that wrath on his own son, and it's the wrath that was due, for the wages of sin is death. It was the wrath that was due our sin. And we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all in a mess. We're all separated. That's what sin does. Separates us from God, his love and his life and his liberty. And, and what Christ did, he came to reconcile us back to the Father. He said crazy things like this. He said, he called God, God Father, and then he said, when you pray, say this, our Father. What? He, he reconciled us back, and now we're co-heirs with Christ. We're, we're adopted as children of God. This is what the scriptures declare. We're born again into the family of God. And what happens in this moment is in this moment where we believe, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we believe that, God, that Christ came, that he was who he said he was. He died in our place. He satisfied our sin debt, and he rose again. When we believe that, God puts his kingdom, his spirit inside of us, and we are new creations in that moment. And in that moment, this is the posture. This is what propitiation is telling us, that God in Christ took our wrath that was due our sin, and he, he extinguished it by by claiming it himself, by enduring it himself. And then you know what we get in exchange? We get the favor of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We now have that accolade as the confession over our life. We become the righteousness of God. Guys, see, the thing is, I, I, I don't, the more we contemplate 
the work and the finishing work of the cross, the more we understand how much, because he said this is what demonstrates his love for us, the more we understand how loved we are. Jesus died in our place to, to, to bring us back to life, not just life in an indifference relationship, as Chad mentioned this morning, but now we have favor with God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are in the family, adopted, cherished in love, the exchange of his wrath. Now we have his favor. That's the love of God. That's what the love of God does. And that's what informs our love for others. That's what transforms our love for others. That's what instructs us. And, that's, and here, don't miss this, that's what motivates us. So when we lack that kind of motivation because we're captured by the circumstance or, or the, the emotion of the relationship struggle, turn your eyes to Jesus, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, right? Like, Fix your eyes on what God has done so that you get get reminded of the true definition of what love is. Does that make sense, guys? God loves you. The cross screams. It declares. It demonstrates God's very own love for us. See, what we get when we read this and understand what love really is from God's perspective, God expresses love in giving. God expresses love in dying. So when you are, listen, this is what God wants to do through your life. He wants you to put yourself aside and sacrifice so that you can express this kind of love to others. It's, did it cost Jesus something to love you? Guys, let me tell you something. It will cost you something to love at this level, to, 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 to yield yourself to the Spirit, to love. The Spirit's going to compel you to, to, to lay yourself aside and to give yourself away. That's, that's what love looks like. So the second principle is loving one another proves that we see God's love. It proves that because there's no way that we love in, in this vein, in this in this way, if we haven't had that shown to us, because the worldly love is, is fickle and shallow and conditional. But God's love, it never runs out on us. And finally this, verses 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. Now, I'm going to read a verse here with one exception Jesus, right? So no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And and I would say also, and is perfecting us. Guys, hear this again. No one has ever seen God, right? But, but, but God becomes tangible through the body of Christ, through the, the work of the believers. If we love one another, God abides in us. So as we're loving others, we're experiencing God's presence in a more rich way. I mean, if you really want to sense the, the richness of God's presence in your life, man, endeavor to be his instrument of love, compelled and empowered by his spirit. And his love is perfected in us and is perfecting us, I would say. So, so here's the good news, guys, that, that would you identify some ills in our world? Would you say, if you, if you turn the news on for a moment, that there's some darkness and evil and there's some stuff going on out there that's, that's, uh, that's pretty bad? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, and pray to me and turn from their wicked ways. Like, God is... God is put his spirit in us to use us as the agent of change. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God, and then in the process of being used as a channel of God's love to those around you, how can I love, man, this is the question we should ask. How can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I be God's love to them? God, would you use me to love them today? My wife, my kids, my neighbors, anyone that it would come across that even in my greeting that they would sense in my countenance, they would sense in my greeting that they are loved. Because you know what the world is hungry for? They're hungry to belong and be loved. And, and a lot of the brokenness and the pain that gets expressed in the world is because they don't think they're, they belong or are loved. 
And when they're convinced that the God of the universe loves them and they belong to him, like, permanently and sufficiently, man, that now we're liberated to go and serve. We're, going, we're liberated to give our, our lives away in love for others. So it can, let me read it in context. Uh, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. See, loving one another proves that God's spirit is in us or within us. Because we can't do it. It shows, it shows a supernatural presence. It brings about a miraculous moment that alters a marriage, that changes a culture, that, that, that conforms, transforms a chemistry of a room, of a, of a team. Like love is what God is, is the mission that God has given to us. He said it sums up the law and the prophets, love God and love people. And, and do it in that order alone. The opening piece said, no one has ever seen God. In John 1.18, it says, this is Jesus, uh, this, these are John's word about Jesus. And it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. If God is love, what has Jesus made known? The Father, he's made known what love is, who love. More importantly, who love is. And so now we get to do the same. Jesus was the firstborn. He was the, he was the one that, he says, you will do even greater things than me. You'll finish what I've started. What did he start? What did he do? He revealed the Father. He revealed the God who is, who is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you first loved us. We thank you that you demonstrated a love that, uh, that has melted our hearts and, 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 uh, and rescued our lives. We thank you that your love continues to heal us, uh, that your love expressed in grace and forgiveness means your mercies are new every morning. Father, that our lives would have the same expression with those around us, that our mercy would be new every morning. Father, that, uh, that those that are forgiven much love much. Help us to realize how much we've been forgiven, to, to the magnitude of what you've done to, to quench our sin debt and to liberate us from sin and selfishness. Help us to just be blown away in worship and, and motivated to serve because of what it is that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us the Father, showing us the God who is love, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.